And then I realized I'd forgotten the mother-in-law's prayer request. <laughs> Lord, please be with the flooding of Dakota. I pray that you put a stop to it. It's good to be with you this morning. And as a pastor, you're always waiting for the Lord to, to tell you, to, to let you know, okay, so what do you preach after Easter Sunday? Like there's this, there's this build-up to Easter, you know? And there's the, the, the emotions of, you know, the up and the down of, of Palm Sunday, and then you've got the upper room, you know, you have communion and foot washing, and then there's Good Friday, and the, and the emotion of that, and then up to Resurrection Sunday, and, and everything, that, I mean, it's just like, whoa, all this stuff. And then, you know, something that pastors know all too well, the next Sunday just keeps coming. And so all of a sudden, it's another Sunday, and what do you do? Well, it better be something that the Lord tells you to do. So I've been, I've been seeking the Lord. What, where are we to go? Maybe we should go back into Luke. We're not quite done going through Luke. Okay, that's, maybe that's, that'd be good. But I didn't feel like it was the right time. I can't even say why it wasn't the right time to go back to Luke yet. And I thought, what, what do we need to do? What what do I need from the Lord? It's okay for a pastor to think that way, isn't it? What, what does the Lord need to say to me and to us? And I came back to something that I grew up with. So, John Long was my pastor, and I talked about him before to you. And all through my entire life, John Long was my pastor. I didn't know another pastor until I moved to Indiana. I mean, he was my pastor my whole life. And as you probably know, I've said this before, but John Long was the pastor of this congregation. And actually, his parents were the pastor of our congregation as well. Way back in the 1970s, some of you may remember John Long and his parents, John and, well, oh, I don't have Yeah, Green. Uh, John and Dolores, that's the John Long I knew. Uh, John and Green, he also and she also were your pastors. But I remember I used to be so irritated at John Long. And he's, he's passed away now, so I'm, I'm speaking reverently. Don't, don't mishear me. But he used to preach on the same stuff over and over, and it drove me crazy. He preached on the book of Philippians like 20 times while I was growing up. And I was just like, I've almost got this book memorized. Do I need to hear another sermon on Philippians? So I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you've been serving with me in youth ministry for many years, before I became the pastor here, senior pastor, and now for like six years I've been your senior pastor, and you, you maybe haven't noticed this, I've never preached on Philippians. It's because it drives me crazy. Because I've heard it so many times when I was growing up. Now I've preached little bits on Philippians, I've preached like a sermon on like one section of Philippians, but I've never just preached through Philippians, like an exegetical expositional sermon series through Philippians. I've never talked through it in Sunday school, and it's just purely selfish. I'm just, I'm just irritated by it. Because I heard it so many times when I was growing up. And so, Becca, Dick Burner, right, where's that, you know, that weird thing going on? God's like, you went all the way through COVID, and you didn't preach through Philippians. And I, I heard God say this, well, maybe not. But he's like, are you new? Like, the, the message that the church needs to hear, and needed to hear, 
was in Philippians. And I'm like, yes, God, I know, I preached on that right when COVID started. You know, the whole, you know, uh, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Like, that's Philippians, right? It's like, that is the sermon I preached on the first Sunday when we did not meet because of COVID. March 22nd, 2020. Right? The Sunday before that, Angela preached. Right? The first sermon I preached in COVID was, was that, was Philippians. So I'm like, God, what are you talking about? And God's like, no, you should have preached through through Philippians during COVID. Okay. Better late than never. So here we are. I want to talk about Philippians. And I'm just going to tell you, again, it's probably selfish. I need the message of Philippians right now. Okay? So I'm going to preach through this because I need it, and I think... I think God also wants something for you, okay? But this is for me. I need to hear this. I've been all tangled up. I've been all tangled up for a while. I've told you this. It's why we've talked sabbatical, right? I need to hear what Philippians has to say. I need to hear what God has to say through this word, through his word. It's only four chapters. It's a short little letter. I need this. And by the way, Philippians is full of a lot of stuff that you're familiar with. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, that's good. That preaches. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Wow! That's good stuff. And do you know how easy it is to pull just one of those and just rip it right out of context? And just apply it anywhere you want? Let's not do that. Let's actually look at what this letter to the Philippians has to say for us in context. And let's soak in Scripture. Because Philippians is about joy. I need the joy of the Lord. Right now, I need that. Do you? Lord, as we open up your word today, it is with a sense of expectation. God, I need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Help us understand what this letter means to us, but only by first recognizing and really wrestling with what it meant to the original audience. So that we can apply this to our life, but apply it rightly. God, the only way this happens is through you speaking through your word. By the power of you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we begin our look at Philippians, um, we need to set the stage. 
I would like to set the stage, and so we're going to begin our study of Philippians by looking in lots of places other than Philippians, which might sound strange, but I think it'll make sense. First of all, I want to start by looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you certainly are welcome to do that. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Well, that's a little clue, isn't it? Something difficult happened in Philippi. I want to read to you, and this is going to be a little rough, and I don't know if I should do this or not. But I'm going to read to you a big section out of the book of Acts, and I want to show something to you. So, there's a map I want to show you. This is a map of the Greek world, and if you see down in the lower corner, you see those, those lines right there, you see down in the lower corner is Judea, so the lowest loop way down in the lower corner, that's like Jerusalem, okay? Those lines are the maps of Paul's missionary journeys. We know that Paul took three missionary journeys, because we know that from the book of Acts. We think it's very likely he actually took one more, that is not recorded exactly in Acts as the other three are. But in Paul's second missionary journey, he went all the way, and it starts there in Syria. Okay, you see Syria. Can you see it? Is it too small? He started in Syria, and he went up through Cilicia, and then you see Galatia. That's the big green area. You see that? And then he kept up into Asia, and then from Asia, do you see, he, he got on a boat and went over to Macedonia. You see Macedonia way up in the corner. The first place he went in Macedonia was the city of Philippi. So Philippi is that first city way up, right when he got off, off the boat, way up in the top there. The northernmost point of that line is Philippi. Right after Philippi, he went a little bit to the west and the south, and that next dot is Thessalonica, the town of Thessalonica in Macedonia. From there, he went down south, and see that word Achaia? That's the ancient word for Greece. So right there, you're looking at Macedonia, and then Greece, and then from Greece, he went back across the ocean, back over to Asia, and then a long ocean journey back down to Jerusalem. You see that? So when we talk about the church in Philippi, we're talking about a city in Macedonia. Now Macedonia is quite famous in history for one particular person. We know that one very important guy came out of Macedonia. His name was Alexander the Great. He was a Macedonian king, uh, and he was about 300 years before Paul went there. But Alexander the Great, his influence was all throughout this entire region. Philippi was a unique city. About 70 or 80 years before Paul got to Philippi, something very important happened in Philippi. A battle of Roman armies. It was Octavius versus some other guys that you also recognize, like Mark Antony. They had a battle, and whoever won that battle got to be the emperor of the Roman Empire. Octavius won. The armies that 
Octavius defeated, he disbanded at Philippi, and all of those army people ended up settling in Philippi. Octavius said, you can't be an army anymore because you were against me, but you still get to be part of Rome. As long as you stay here, I will also give you land. So the armies, the defeated Roman armies, settled in Philippi. Translation, Philippi as a city was intensely loyal to Rome because it was filled with ex-Roman officers and ex-Roman soldiers who settled there and their families settled there. The emperor cult in Philippi was very strong. They worshipped the emperor. And of course, Octavius was the first emperor. Well, after Julius Caesar. Octavius was Julius Caesar's. I could go on about this. This is fun. Who likes this stuff? I'm not going to go into it too much more. All that to say, Philippi was very Roman. Okay? And now I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 16. So if you would turn in your Bibles, because I'm going to read this entire chapter. Acts chapter 16. Please take a look and listen, because Acts chapter 16 describes Paul's visit to Philippi and how the church in Philippi started. And you see, what we call the book of Philippians is actually a letter that Paul wrote back to the church that he, he started in Philippi. So we're going to read in Acts how the church started, and then that will set the stage for what Philippians is, a letter back to this church. Does that make sense? All right. Acts chapter 16, we're going to read the whole chapter. Please track in your Bible and follow along. This is good stuff. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So Der Derby and Lystra, they're actually, if you go back to the map for a second, Mike, Derby and Lystra, that's way over in Galatia. Okay, so way over in Galatia, those two little dots, you can't see them, but there's Derby and Lystra. Those are two cities way over there in Galatia. So we're going to follow Paul all the way to Philippi right now in the book of Acts. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Remember? We just talked about those. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Put the map back up on Mike. So you see, they were in Galatia, they went into Asia, Paul thought they were supposed to go to Bithynia and Pontus. He thought they were supposed to go north. You see that? But when he got over to Asia, 
He was blockading from going into Bithynia and Pontus, and he had a vision of, of a, a dream, a vision, to instead cross the ocean and go to Macedonia. You see that? Paul was just traveling by the skin of his pants. Is that, that's the wrong <coughs> Skin of his teeth? That's the right one. He was, he was just listening to the Holy Spirit as he preached the gospel in these places. He was planning on going to Bithynia, ended up going to Macedonia. All right. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart and responded to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs? Unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and, he saw, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here. The jailer called the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, 
Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now they, now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Now that's a fantastic story of how a church began. That is the beginning of the church in Philippi. That is the church to which the letter of Philippians was written. That's a pretty good beginning. Our church has a beginning like that. We began because people were healed of diseases by a preacher who came and preached and said, if any one of you would come and be healed, I will pray over you. And they were healed. That's the beginning of New Life Church of God. What did we learn from Acts chapter 16 about the church in Philippi? Well, the church in Philippi was a group of diverse believers. Just consider this. There were probably some Jewish women that were part of this church. Because look at Acts 16.13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now this is interesting. So there, there's a group of Jewish women that were meeting outside the city gates to pray. And Lydia was one of those Jewish women who was faithful. But just think about it. In other cities Paul went, the first place Paul would preach would be the synagogue inside the city. Right? You kind of know that if you've read the letters. Paul didn't preach in the synagogue inside this city. I'm guessing because there wasn't one. Right? Why? Because Philippi was like super ultra-Roman. They didn't want the Jews having a synagogue inside their city. Right? Kind of makes sense. Now I'm reading between the lines here, but that's why they had to go outside the city where there's this prayer gathering. They went to the women's prayer Bible Okay? That's where they went. So Paul shows up. He's like, there's got to be some, some good, faithful Jewish women praying somewhere. Right? And so he found them outside the city by the river. So, very likely... This first church in Philippi was made up of, at least partially, a group of Jewish faithful prayer warriors. Right? Okay, so who else? Well, look at the next two verses, 14 and 15. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. We have a Lydia in our church, don't we? Where, where's Lydia? Lydia's here. Very good. Hi, Lydia. Very good. There you go. Oh, you don't want me to say it. So Lydia, this is you. You were named 
probably after this very faithful Christian woman in the church in Philippi. Lydia was a leader. You know the whole thing about women can't be leaders in the church? Really? Really? I beg to differ, says Lydia. Lydia was not just a leader in the Philippian church, she was perhaps the leader of the Philippian church. Right? All you women in ministry, all you ordained women, to of you for sure in this room right now. Right? Lydia was a woman of means. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And remember at the very end of this chapter, where was the church meeting? You remember that? Where was that? Right at the end. Verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went where? To Lydia's house. The first church in Philippi, the building where the church met, was Lydia's house. Did you get that? That's Lydia's house. That's where the church in Philippi met. And Lydia, when she was converted to faith in Jesus, now she had been a faithful Jew, right? But she was... <laughs> Persuaded by Paul from the scriptures to believe that Jesus was the Messiah that they were waiting for. And so she became a follower of Jesus, what we would call a Christian, right? In Philippi. And then look at the next, look at the next section, Acts 16, verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately he and his family were baptized. That's a Roman. So now we've got a group, a, a Jewish prayer women's group that meets outside the city by the river. We've got one of those ladies who was a merchant who had some money and some property, right? And now we've got a Roman jailer who had probably participated in the flogging of Paul and Silas before also being assigned to guard them. He experiences the earthquake, and you're like, then he's like, he's going to kill himself with his sword. Do you know why he was going to do that? Because if the prisoners had escaped on his watch, he would be tortured first and then killed. Better just to kill yourself and skip the torture part. Right? Woo! I'm glad we don't live in ancient Rome. Just throwing that out there. Okay? It's good. I love America. <laughs> it's, we have some good stuff. We've got some stuff to work on, but it's really good. To, okay, I, yes, it's good. So, the Roman prison guard is going to kill himself, and Paul's like, yeah, we didn't leave. The doors are open, our chains are off, we didn't leave. We were just, we were just singing. Like, talk about a, a worship, a work and worship weekend. Talk about a, a worship and warfare night. Now, that was, the, that was the original worship and warfare night. The night in the prison with Paul. They had just been flogged. You know what flogging is? You take a stick and you beat someone right until they almost die. That's flogging. It's super fun. Okay? Not at all. It's really bad. So Paul and Silas got beaten almost to death. And they're singing hymns 
while they're chained in prison. And they weren't like they were like they were chained. They did it on purpose so you couldn't sit down right. Like so you just had to like stand. After they've been flogged, and they're singing praise songs. They were probably super repetitious. Well, that was a little that wasn't in my notes. I gotta be careful when I go off my notes. You see, that is a totally different way of thinking about church, y'all. This is the church in Philippi. These are the people that made up the church in Philippi. And, you know, that slave girl that Paul, like, cast the demon out, my guess would be she might just come to VBS at that church. I bet she was there. I bet her masters didn't want her to be there. I bet she found a way to sneak out to Lydia's house sometimes. Don't you think? This is the church in Philippi. These are real people just like you and me who experience the radical, incredible power of Jesus Christ come alive in their lives. This is Philippi. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right. We better at least read something in Philippians if we're going to do a study in Philippians, don't you think? Amen. <laughs> I wish I got amens in some other times also. <laughs> Alright, so. Remember, Paul was only with them for a short time. Go back to verse 12. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. So Paul was only there for several days, apparently long enough to meet with the ladies' prayer group and then get arrested and flogged. Okay? That's about how long Paul was there. Paul told these people about Jesus. He explained the gospel. He got in trouble for ruining a profitable fortune-telling operation. Which, by the way, side note, isn't that a little bit scary? There really are demons that could cause a girl to know the future and earn money from it? Yeah, don't mess with that stuff. Hey, y'all, Ouija boards? Don't go there. Don't go there. It, there's real power there, and it's really bad. And it will really mess you up. So don't do that. Okay, that's a side note. Paul was a part of God's miraculous rescue from jail, and through all of this, a small group of people believed in Jesus and started meeting together to worship Jesus. And then, after they just got started, Paul left, because he went on to Thessalonica. And by the way, Thessalonica is almost exactly 100 miles west and a little bit south of Philippi. I really want to go there someday. I want that little line... One of, one of the things I'm going to do someday is follow the line. Okay? So I don't know if you want to come with me. That's one of those things I want to do. Remember, Philippians. This is important. It's a letter. It's a letter. Okay? Letters are written for specific purposes to specific people. Alright? And I know that this is going to sound hard. But the letter of Philippians originally was not written to you, nor was it written to me. It was written to Lydia, and a Roman jailer, and a slave girl, and the household of the jailer, and the household of Lydia, and some other people that we're going to meet later in Philippians. It wasn't written to you and me. 
Now, that does not mean it doesn't have meaning for us. It absolutely does. But you need to understand, this is a real letter. It was really written to people 2,000 years ago. Real people. So we've got to be careful how we use this letter. How we appropriate what's in this letter. We've got to be careful. Because it's, if you just skip over the fact that it was written to real people 2,000 years ago, you might end up reading something that was never intended to be there. This is what it means to read in context. So I want, I want to just look at this first section of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now remember, this is a letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read the New Testament for very long, you know that there's lots of letters in the New Testament. In fact, most of the things in the New Testament are letters. And because so many of them are letters, my guess would be you skip over stuff like this. I know I do. It's hard for me to actually stop and read stuff like this. I don't want to skip it because it matters. So this is the last thing we're going to talk about is this first section here today. It's really interesting when you take the letters of Paul, and there's, there's about 12 or 13 of them, depending on how you count, in the New Testament. When you take them and you compare them to one another, I just want to compare the letters of Paul, or the, this letter to the Philippians by Paul, to other letters of Paul that we have. So, so again, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now compare that to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So here's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay? Right, you, got your, you got your thinking hats on now? Compare. Now Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And now Galatians. Now Galatians really emphasizes what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. Listen to what Paul wrote at the beginning of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatians. Now I want you to think about it. Go back again to Philippians verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Mike, go back to Galatians again. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, raised him from the dead. Now go back to Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You notice what's missing from Philippians? Paul does not claim his apostleship in the beginning of this letter. Now, why does that matter? Let's talk about it. Look what else he says. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's just like the other three letters we read. To all the saints. To all the holy ones, right? Together with the overseers and deacons, he doesn't say that in the other ones, does he? He just says, to the saints. 
So what you've got here in Philippians is Paul not claiming his apostolic authority. And in fact, servants of Christ Jesus, that word servant right there, that Greek word, they've softened it in the translation to servant. Because the word that is act, that, that should be translated confuses English readers because the word that should be translated adds for us a bunch of extra baggage. Do you know what the word in Greek actually is for servants right there? Slave. Now the reason they didn't use slave in the NIV translation is because when we hear the word slave, we think of 18th century America. Right? We think of African American slaves in Georgia. Right? So they changed it to servant. But the word in Greek is slave, not servant. Slave of Christ Jesus. So think about this now. Paul, instead of claiming his apostolic authority, his authority as an apostle, instead of claiming his authority, he instead does the opposite and claims his position as slave. As servant. That is interesting. Why would Paul do that in this letter to the Philippians? And why does Paul address specifically the overseers and deacons? You know what's interesting here? Paul doesn't claim his title, but he makes sure he recognizes the title of the leaders in the Philippian church. Did you catch it? He purposely calls himself a slave and then purposely addresses the people in the church by their leadership titles. Something is going on here. And what's interesting is how different that is than his other letters. Like Galatians. I mean, Galatians, he is, and of course, if you've studied Galatians, you know what Galatians is about. Galatians is all about Paul saying, I'm an apostle, you've got to listen to me, because you guys went off the rails, so you better take listen. In Philippians, he doesn't even name himself as an apostle. I'm just a slave of Christ. Do you understand that just this greeting sets the stage for the entire letter of Philippians? This letter is going to be all about humility. Almost completely about humility. About not saying what our rights are but about claiming our only identity, which is slave of Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about Philippians, and if you've looked at my little picture I've got in the bulletin, it's about the joy of Christ. So as we open up this study in Philippians, I want you to understand something about joy. And then we're done for today. Joy True joy, the joy of Christ, always starts with humility. If you get nothing else out of anything I've said today, you forget the map, all that stuff. Would you remember that? Joy always starts with humility.
The entire letter to Philippians is going to, that theme runs all throughout everything that is said. From the very beginning to something that seems worthy of skipping, just the, the, the title, the, the, the addressee. Purposely, purposely, Paul says, I'm a slave. And I'm going to tell you that joy begins with slavery. Philippians. Doesn't that sound like a great message? Don't you all just want to be a slave? I hope your answer is, by the time we get done with this, I wouldn't want anything else. And all of the things that we get tangled up in, and all of the lack of joy that happens in a Christian life, it starts. It starts. The lack of joy it starts with a lack of humility. With a, a lack of recognizing that we are slaves of Christ. The entire letter of Philippians builds from this moment right here. I need to hear this. We, I think, the Lord is saying, need to hear this. And not as a way of, you should do this or should do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to be reminded of what it means to be a slave of Jesus. Not a very popular message. And we like to stick with passages like, rejoice! I will say it again, rejoice! That's in Philippians. Rejoice is the verb form of the noun joy. Right? Now connect that to humility. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a future sermon. Lord God, may we rejoice in you. Heavenly Father, we need to hear. We need to be reminded of what it means to be humble. We need to be reminded that humbleness is where joy springs from. God, as we open up your word in Philippians in the next couple of weeks, next few weeks, Lord, speak to us. May our hearts, and may my heart, thaw and be moldable again. to know you. Speak to us in a new and a fresh way. Again, we ask in Jesus' name. Please join us in the cake saying farewell and the Lord bless you. John.